0: But like my stealth fave is Matrix Reloaded. I think that movie's pretty great. So
1: that's the second one, the second like one. number two? The
0: second one. Yeah, we the got one.
1: it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> Orgy's great. <laughs> um, but like, I, I also like. <laughs> on that note, let's start the episode.
2: <Click>. Remember that record that you bought me like two years ago? Well I just remembered that it's sitting in the closet. So I called you up just to tell you I've been meaning to listen to it I've been meaning to listen to who that Why don't you come over and talk about it? Ooh. Come
1: over and talk about it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to I've Been Meaning to Listen to That, the podcast where we go through albums we've been meaning to listen to and use as a conduit to learn about each other and our guests. I'm Andrew Ambrose Lee.
2: I'm Harper Thompson.
1: Yeah. And... We got this great guest here. I keep saying it, I keep saying that part in that way. Like, we got this great guest here. We got a great guest here. Uh, you might know her from her work at Vulture, Vanity Fair, the creator of Arden, and the number one Harper from Happiest Season Defender. It's Emily St. James. Oh God,
0: she's so good. She's so happiest <laughs> season classic classic film everybody <laughs> loves it hi i'm emily uh it's it's so nice to be here i list so listen i had never heard of this podcast when you invited me to come on and i did my yeah. due diligence i listened to a few episodes i logged in wow. today i was expecting there to be like 60 people just greeting me and being <laughs> like hi emily hi emily hi emily i was like nope there's this it's you too it's great this is great this is wonderful i love it thank
1: you <laughs> wow this is, what a what a what an honor. Like, um, so first of all to warm up a little bit, um I'm sure you've gone over this like uh billions of, of times, but um you know, we we want to get your we want to get the word out, we want to get like as many people on board as possible. <laughs> um 2024 is coming up. So what is your Harper defense from happiest <laughs> season like, like, let's just
2: clarify harper from happiest season as another harper i feel like you know we just need to define which harper we're talking about right now and mm-hmm. also just because my name is also harper i did my fair share of defending this film as well harper
0: <laughs> harper's gotta stick together uh my wife and i recently had a child and harper was on the long list and then we found out oh. there were too many too many harpers in the world and we were like so much for that. Like it's a name mm-hmm. on the upswing right now. I can only assume yeah. because of happiest season. I can only assume of Bojack <laughs> yeah. Horseman. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like- um, I think that happiest season is a movie. This is an extremely abbreviated Form of I live. I did an episode yes, of yes. You Should See the Other Guy where I talked about this for literally like two hours, I think. Um, <laughs> but I think that Happiest Season has been sort of misunderstood in the genre it's in. People saw it and thought it was in the Christmas uh, Hallmark Christmas genre, which is A thing happens and there's no conflict and the people are happy throughout. And at the end, they're even happier because they're engaged when it's actually like sort of living in a very different space of like a Capra or a a Preston Sturgis or something like that, which is like a sentimental story. Yes, but like there's a lot of conflict on the way to the happy ending. I get a lot of, I get people who say that we have enough queer stories about coming out. And we don't need one more. I think, you know, I'm inclined to agree with that yet. At the same time, the reason we keep telling coming out stories is because queer people have to keep coming out and it often goes disastrously poorly. So it is worth telling stories where it seems like it's going to go badly. And then it goes pretty well as happens in happiest season. And like, I'm not going to sit here and say that's a classic of American cinema, but I think the degree to which people were like, Oh, yeah, Kristen Stewart should break up with her girlfriend of however long to go off with this woman she just met or sort of like misunderstanding how relationships work yeah. <laughs> and are instead trying to put upon it this other genre of film that it doesn't really belong to. So anyway, Happiest Season – I mean, we all remember when it won best picture and everyone like, yeah, cheered. yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like-
2: and you know, we won't get the Aubrey Plaza sequel, you know, if, if she had gotten with Kristen Stewart, then that would have been the end of that. No sequel. Yeah. And now I, I need more, I need more Aubrey Plaza at Christmas time. You know, Yeah.
0: Like that's the thing is you don't want Aubrey Plaza to be the love, the, like the secondary love interest in a holiday rom-com. You want her to have her own holiday rom-com where she's super gay. Like, I mean, absolutely amen does she get with like
1: clay duvall in that movie like in the in the end credits like she's with oh yeah was Clay Duvall the
2: security guard at the mall was that what that
1: was i don't even know if she was like in the i know she directed the movie but she's like she's in a picture of aubrey plaza going "Ah!" they're they're, they're implying they're a couple i think so
0: (laughs) i think that if i ever direct a movie i'm just going to put myself in the Co- closing credits as like <laughs> dating one of the characters be like here i am hey it'll be like a it'll be like a like a like a horror movie and then the end credits will be like me with like the worm monster being like hey uh.
1: So, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's a very important, like, uh, stump thing we got to get out, yeah. to get the word out on about. So, <laughs> like, this is a music podcast, by the way. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for checking the show out. That's such an honor. That's so cool. Uh, uh, by the way, I have to defend Harper. I have to defend our Harper
0: really quickly. Uh, she's my friend. What's she's that? my best friend. I'm. Thank you. Already a pro Harper. I just, in general, like I have, I have so defended f- fictional Harper for so long that now all non-fictional Harpers, this is like a really high bar for them to have to clear <laughs> to like me not like them. So Harper, you're my best friend.
2: Ah, uh, Thank you. Wow. I have so many best friends on this podcast. I love it.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so Emily, this is a music podcast. Um, I, What is your, I guess the first question would be like, what is your General music history, general music listening history. Like what, what type of music do you grow up listening to? What are you listening to now? What's your general? taste and oeuvre and such i don't know if you talk about this a lot like i haven't heard you talk about this a lot so
0: yeah music uh, when i got into writing criticism um a field that i very recently exited with great grace and and beauty um Fuck yeah. the uh <laughs> uh i always said i'm not gonna write about music and the, i i did gradually especially a vox i wrote a little bit about music here and there but i just was like I want to kind of save a thing for myself. And music was the mm. thing that I so often was just like, this is kind of just for me. Um, I grew up not listening to music. Like the first 10 years of my life, I exclusively listened to Christian music. I don't think that I heard I maybe heard like, I'm sure I heard like a Beatles song, you know, I'm sure I heard like ubiquitous pop hits. Those are all about Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) As, as we all recall, uh, uh, John Lennon saying love, love me, Jesus. Um, that (laughs) that was a big early hit for them. Um, but yeah, like, and we're actually, when we get to this week's album, it has a very weird connection with Christian rock, which I can't wait to discuss. Um, but, ah, sick. uh, I, I listened to a lot of Christian music as a kid. There were a lot of albums that were sort of like kids music, but for Christian kids, like salty, the singing songbook, who's literally a book that sings for Sure. GT and the halo express. Who's a little angel who comes down and sings Bible verse songs to you. And of course my favorite rap and rabbit, like that's one that not a lot of people had like they didn't, I, it's but a deep cut. Yeah. Rap and rabbit is, is definitely a deep cut. Um, When I was, you know, like 10, 11, 12 is the heyday of 90s country and the heyday of the British mega musical. And I just got really into those two things. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> i was like going from garth brooks to andrew lloyd weber and back again you know like i i put in no fences and do a chaser of the evita obc um and uh oh. yeah i do you know now that i'm putting it that way i feel like a lot of my creative sensibilities were formed by being like i'm gonna listen to like the most bombastic music ever and then followed up with like kind of like often beautifully sentimental and sometimes like treacly sentimental, like small portrayals of American life. Uh, and then when I was finally, when I was a teenager and had some disposable income, I got into, you know that was the era of of, of grunge and all these things and i got into a lot of 90s music the first pop cd i ever bought was the dumb and dumber soundtrack <laughs> um which has some which has some bangers what on it what were the hits on there uh there was a uh crash test dummies cover of something there was a song called where i find my heaven that i particularly loved there was of course um New Age Girl by Dead Eye Dick um which is a, a, a big hit that you can't find on Spotify you have to go on YouTube to find New Age Girl by Dead Eye Dick it's 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 full of bangers uh everyone should go listen to it um yeah then i guess all of this stuff is stuff that i've continued to listen to like i still try and keep up with Broadway i still try and keep up with country I don't really keep up with Christian kids' music. but, <laughs> but Rap and
1: Rabbit hasn't come uh, out of a new
0: album. Like, uh, no, no. But and like I keep up with pop. Um, I am I think you know, I'm kind of a musical polymath. I know that people are like, I listen to anything, but I really do I listen to music when I write, and unlike a lot of writers, I can only write fiction if I'm listening to music with lyrics. I need to have <sighs> wow. like I need to basically be able to picture the pop pop song montage in my brain as i'm writing i think i think that's how it works but that like really fucking makes my music history strange like there was a time earlier this year when i was trying to get a scene in a novel i'm writing right and i listened to for some reason the the song that was working for me was goodbye stranger by super tramp and i listened to it like 60 times in a row and so spotify at the end of the year now spotify is like well she really loves Super Tramp. We better just keep
1: <laughs> shoveling
0: that at her. If it's if I'm just like listening to to music for myself, I tend to listen to um sad white women. <laughs> 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 so not not all white women. Like I, I'm I am i am realizing that like I listen to a lot of Japanese Breakfast. I listen to a lot of Minsky. Um, you know, yeah. I listen to um Janelle Monae is not particularly sad, but I listen to a lot of her. So not all white women, but like I mean, my most played. My most played artists every year are Taylor Swift and Haim. Like I, I can't, I can't escape it. Wow! Yeah.
1: And, like you, you also like said briefly, like you, uh, like that was your first pitch. Like you wanted to talk about Taylor Swift,
0: yeah. Uh, but you never listened to a full album of hers. Apparently, I have. I there. So some of the like. I have listened to like all of her albums, but I wasn't entirely sure what the premise of the show was. So I just was like, I'm going to just pitch some stuff. I have like, uh, I'm sure that I'm not sure I've listened to the debut. So I probably could have like done that. I have listened to a lot of songs off of it, but straight through, I don't know. That said, um, my pitch was basically like this episode was going to come out in pride month or in the adjacency of pride month. And I wanted to do an episode about why it's so important to so many people that Taylor Swift is gay and or bisexual, and um that like that was my meta narrative for why I wanted to talk about her. So <laughs>
1: what 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 is what is the abridged take on that? Like I'm sure it's like cooking and stuff, but like what's your take on it?
0: I think that she's an artist who peddles intimacy as a kind of uh, creative cachet. Um, I think that if you are a fan of hers, as I am, um, you feel like you know her a little bit, and you feel like you are her friend. And I also think there is this element to her relationships with other women um, that is that's like verges on homoerotic. It's not, it's not overtly so. And if you go online and you go down the deep the rabbit hole, like there are there are times when she's like worn bisexual flag colors in context where people are like, well, she's saying she's bi, but like, I can't go full Gaylor because the, the thing with, with Maddie Healy, uh, unfortunate was, I mean, I, as a woman who is attracted to men, it was so much. You, you just go, that's just such a, such a thing that women attracted to men will do. Just go all out for this, this fucked up guy. You just can't, let yourself uh, let go of that. I mean, I I fortunately got that out of my system when I was like 14, (laughs) but Taylor Swift (laughs) keeps repeating it. So, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think that, I think that she is probably, you know, I I think if she came out as bi, it would not surprise me. I'm not going to sit here and say she's bi, but like, if she came out as bi, it wouldn't surprise me. At the same time, I don't expect her to ever come out as bi, unless it's like somehow uh, going to be advantageous to her selling a bunch of albums. I don't think she's a cold and calculated person in the way that some people do, but I do think that like she is more protective of her private life than she used to be.
1: By the way, this is an episode on *In Utero* by Nirvana. Which honestly, uh, so we have to talk yeah. about
2: Taylor Swift for thirty minutes. Please, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: let's do it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Like I, you also wanted to talk briefly about like why are people invested? Like I guess you talked about a little bit, but like I always want to hear a little bit more about like uh, why people are like invested in it. Like why people want this to be the case? We're
0: gonna. I mean, we're honestly. This is honestly kind of a good segue to talking about Nirvana, as I like to pronounce it. Mm -hmm. uh, Is yeah, we uh, as queer people, you know, we desperately want there to be. Representation among um the famous people of the world, basically, but there's still this tremendous structural burden to people coming out. There's also the simple fact of the matter that like Taylor Swift might just be a straight woman she might just be a straight woman who's had like kind of a like girl crush on two or three other women, which is like a kind of bisexuality that we lump under straight because that's how our society works and like you know, I, I'm not gonna. I think there is a there is a deep need within ourselves in a world in which everybody is constantly, you know, putting themselves out there in some capacity or another to be able to see ourselves reflected on large stages, in large screens, in large areas. And I feel like there's so much investment in Taylor Swift being gay because so many of her songs have sapphic undertones. Yes. But also like if there are so many gay, trans, bi, pan, whatever women who love her music and hear that she doesn't use pronouns to describe a lot of her love interests in those songs. And she doesn't do all these things and just hear that and are like, her music's already so intimate. We're already projecting ourselves into that space that it's so easy to just tip over and be like, well, I am gay. Taylor Swift must also be gay. And that sort of, that denies her agency, you know? Uh, But it also like, I don't know. In a way, it denies yourself agency because you're you're saying the things I like necessarily have to be just like me, and I don't think that's true. I don't think that's that that's what art is all about. That said, Taylor, if you are gay, please call me and I'll break the story. It'll be great. I'm mostly out of journalism, but I feel like we could we could place it. You know, <laughs> we could probably place it in like I don't know the the Akron Daily Leader, and you know. <laughs>
1: Also, just like at the end of like the movie, Emily's directing. Like it's you and Taylor Swift going, "Hey!" Yeah. <laughs> <So> like,
0: <laughs> I was on a I was on a different podcast, uh, and we, Brag. we uh, <laughs> I was on this podcast called Queer Quadrant, and we were talking about. Uh, me going to a Taylor Swift concert and her seeing me in the audience and coming out as bisexual because of that. And then I went to a Taylor Swift concert in New York and she did like, did this pause, like she was going to give a big speech. And I was like, oh my God, she's going to come out as bisexual. <laughs> she didn't.
2: <laughs> no, for real though. Like when she did, she did this performance at iHeartRadio. I think about this all the time because I am a bisexual woman who was on Tumblr in, you know, that prime time <laughs> of my life. And like, there's this, this very short clip of her at the iHeartRadio Awards. Where she's singing, um, "I knew you were trouble," and she changes the pronoun. She goes, "And she never loved me or her or anyone." <gasps> and I, it's a <sighs> in my brain. Like, so wow. I'm fully, you know, in yeah. this space. It's.
0: Uh, I got. I, I here's here's a here's a Tumblr sidebar. Why is every uh, white woman between the ages, I guess now they'd be between the ages of like 28 and 38? Why does every single one of them have a possibly dated Diana Agron arc? It feels like they all do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's that is so true i um yeah wow yeah shiv, the shiva baby of it all you know wow. i yeah diana agron is very important to me so I, yeah, yeah let's <laughs>
0: talk about glee by the way <laughs> let's, let's do let's, it let's fucking talk glee i'm ready that's i'm
2: sh- so deep on glee talk <laughs> <laughs> oh it's bad it's bad
0: that's actually like, I, I should have pitched Glee because I, I cover oh, wow. yeah, yeah, every Michael episode of that Blue's show. I never sat down and listened to an album. like I never listened to that music outside the context of the show. So um, yeah, that would have been fun. That would have been fun. But yeah. you know what? We're here to talk about the Glee cover of All Apologies. <laughs> Did they cover Nirvana? Hold on, I'm Googling this. Let's look it up. Like Glee At Nirvana. At least not
2: in the first three seasons.
1: <laughs> no Nir- Nirvana or Foo Fighters for Glee. Like Dave. Dave Grohl put his foot down and said, no, yeah, <laughs> Like not allowed. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm just like, I'm wondering, like, obviously uh, Dave Grohl and Kurt uh, Novoselic and Courtney Love control the rights to sell Nirvana songs. And they're kind of like sparing with how that catalog gets used. But I just, mm. they should have had Matthew Morrison sing Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> it should have happened.
1: Oh, that's. Fucking monster, but like, yeah, we're here talking about like, we're, so yeah, we're let's let's transition. I feel like you said this transitions nicely into Nirvana. Uh, what is your history? What is what but to the both of you and to myself? What is your history and understanding with Nirvana?
0: Um, Nirvana is a band that obviously, uh, being a teenager in the nineties, was. I mean, they were everywhere. They were like, they were in many ways. I think the Beatles of Gen X and I'm not Gen X, I'm a millennial, but like, I'm just close enough that I was like inundated with Gen X culture. And of course that it, it was sort of cut short because, I mean, it was cut short because Kurt Cobain died very um, in a very untimely fashion, but uh, it, they just were so ubiquitous for so long and they still kind of feel ubiquitous, even though I don't think you sit there and like turn on the radio and hear Smells like Teen Spirit or Heart Shape Box or Lithium or whatever, in the way that you might hear other songs of the era. But, like, it is, they are the one grunge act that has really endured. I guess you could argue Pearl Jam as well. But, like, you know, Soundgarden and Stone Temple Pilots and some of these other ones, like, that are like, Things I remember fondly. I don't know if you could go up to the random Gen Z person and be like, "Have you heard of these bands?" And the way we're like, even if you haven't heard a Nirvana song, I think you've heard of Nirvana. You're kind of like vaguely aware of them. They're important in a way that certain other you know um, acts are. Um, yeah, I just there was smells like Teen Spirit was everywhere for like three years, and then you know it's still this song that that is. Tremendously big and important. And, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I love it. It's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, I looked up, uh,
1: Glee Nirvana and I see here, Nirvana, a synonym for glee. So that's pretty interesting. All right. Uh, What about about you, Harper? What's your history with Nirvana? You said you like heart shaped box. Like, that's one of the things. But what else?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, um, I definitely, for me, like, my early introduction to Nirvana was very tied to media, right? Like, my relationship with most things has to do with film and television. So um, I am pretty sure the first time I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit, it would have been in the Can Can number in Moulin Rouge. Oh.
0: It's fucking great. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, I forgot about that.
2: I, I feel pretty confident about that because that was a really important early movie for me. Um, and then uh, also <laughs> this is very ridiculous, but there was an episode of cold case in about 2006, I think yes. where um, there is like, the whole thing is about these teenagers after the death of Kurt Cobain, like, cause you know, the whole premise of cold cases, they're doing cold cases from different times. And so it's, I think it's about these kids that were in detention. I, I haven't watched it since it came out, but I think it was about these kids that were in detention Um, And one of them was really affected by Kurt Cobain's death. And then someone died and they're not sure if it was like a suicide or if they jumped um, off the roof of the the high school. But um, that was also a a big uh, part of my relationship with Nirvana. Um,
0: Speaking of weird movie uses of Smells Like Teen Spirit, this is extracurricular for everyone listening. But pause the podcast, go to YouTube, watch uh, the use of Smells Like Teen Spirit in the film Pan from 2015. It is. Oh, that's bizarre! Right, it is so weird. It's uh, Captain
1: Hook and his pirate Hook and his <laughs> singing. <laughs> smells
0: like. Oh my spirit. gosh!
2: I missed that one. I gotta now. I feel like I need to watch it.
0: It's a bad movie. Don't watch it. But you can watch the clip <laughs> on YouTube. Yeah. Like my me for me like my
1: like. Uh, nirvana culture moment like uh, kurt cobain died before i was born oh, and like you, you know <laughs> sorry. i'm so young i love tiktok but like it's like um so like i it honestly feels like fictional and it feels like it feels like it's so removed from like my scope of like knowledge of like just like historic like i was a baby and i like And then I didn't like, I wasn't paying attention to any culture and stuff like that. Yeah. That Um, that
0: is interesting. The way that things that happened before you were born feel like fiction. Like, um, (laughs) yeah. Huh. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Please continue.
1: No, it's like, it's like, because like I see like TV shows, like, you know, pay homage to nirvana and just like or like make up a nirvana-esque band in their show and go like we're burbana or whatever and goes like ah like nirvana (laughs) like but like it feels like just like flat the flannel the hair the type of music that goes like (laughs) it feels like before my time it feels like where is like the beatles feels a little more timeless. It, it feels like kind of like, Oh, I can listen to it today. And like, people will understand, but like that, that like, and maybe it's cause it's so close to when I was born that like, it feels like kind of like this, um, other there's like this other world and and also because he you know kurt cobain passed away and the band was cut short super early it feels like otherworldly it feels like this one moment basically
0: i i do wonder if the beatles had only recorded two albums or nirvana recorded three albums and then the the live but you know the mostly their reputation rests on uh never in in euro if The Beatles had only recorded like Meet the Beatles and I think Help was second. Um, If they had only recorded those two, like we would not remember them the same way we do because over their career, they tried out a bunch of different sounds. And Mm -hmm. that made their work all feel more timeless than it might have if it was only in this one specific context. Again, Taylor, I think, is very similar in that sense where she's recorded in a bunch of different styles and that makes even her earliest songs sound contemporary in like a really weird way.
1: So like my two like cultural references for Nirvana was The Simpsons um, where they did an episode in season 19 called The 90s Show Mm -hmm. where the show has gone on so long that they had to rewrite the canon of Marge and Homer basically because like instead of that really sweet episode where like Homer gives like Marge like an onion ring as a wedding ring, (laughs) Homer's in like this, becomes like a member of this Nirvana band and he writes a song called Shave Me instead of like you know, the song in this album, (laughs) like like the the peak of comedy. Um, and, um, also like the, the, uh, in Bojack Horseman, like, um, they, like whenever they flashback, Bojack's always listening to this fictional song. And in this one, it's like generic nineties grunge song, everyone in flannel, blah, 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 blah. Something from Seattle. And it, it like, so I listen to that and go like, oh, like this is the thing they're parroting basically. Like this is the Rosetta Stone for mm-hmm. what that. So it's so interesting that this is like this band kind of,
0: at least in some sense, kind of formed an archetype of just like a, <laughs> like a thing. Yeah. You know? And it's also, what's interesting about this is again, I think because of Cobain's death, but also because there were so many Nirvana knockoffs and it's this bubble that, 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 inflates really quickly and then bursts. Whereas like the Beatles to return to that comparison sort of ignite this arms race in terms of who can make like the most creative pop music. So you got all kinds of other pop music from that era that is in conversation with them as opposed to strictly imitating them. And again, you know, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden are like really great bands in their own right, but they got sort of swept along in this Nirvana wake and all of that music has a similar sound. That's not to say that they sound the same, but it, they're all in that same instrumentation. They're all in that same sort of general, like key change chord range, uh, area. Um, I took so many, so much music theory and that's all I've retained key change chord range. Um, the, uh, <laughs> but It is like they did sort of just all get stuck in this one mode and it was very hard for them to break out. Um, You know, and I I do wonder if Cobain had lived on because the last song on this album sounds like, oh, we're going to try some new things. And then, you know, he died. So
1: like in an interview, he was talking about like, yeah, I want to try this like a little later and stuff like that. He was like he's it seems like he's such an artist, like an artist artist guy who's like he probably might have done that Taylor Swift-y and thing, maybe not exactly the same. Like, he has his Reputation era, but like the idea of like morph it. He, I don't think he'd be content doing the same thing over and over. I would over love again. to hear Kurt Cobain's Lover <laughs> era. Like- <laughs> but like, yeah, it's kind of like just like this evolving thing. I, he, it seems like he would evolve in some sort. Well, Kurt like, Cobain
0: would have released like the worst pandemic album i'm sorry it probably would have had some like artistic value but it would have just been like yeah it would have been too dark emily are you a, a foo fighters fan i like foo fighters okay i i uh, this that's one i've never sat down and listened to a full album um i have i like their singles have you stood up and listened to it yes <laughs> I have. (laughs) I like their singles. Um, Probably my favorite Foo Fighters song is the performance of Everlong from the final Late Show with David Letterman, which I thought was really moving. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I I like Foo Fighters. I think Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl just seems like a really chill guy. You know, I I would like to hang out with him. Um, But yeah, Foo Fighters has always been... A little bit generic dad rock for my tastes. There is a mm-hmm. there is a there is a thing in Nirvana that is hard to pin down. That is like I think just that element of creative genius that you know those three guys working together, especially like that whatever Cobain brought to it, um, just could not be replicated in future uh, iterations. It, again, it's very similar to the Beatles all breaking up and right. making great music. But yeah,
1: yeah. The last thing I'll say about this is like I really try to not do a lot of research on just like the Nirvana mania type of thing. I just wanted to consume this as a piece of art and see what I thought about it. Like, I kind of like, first of all, there's too much, like too much information. And I felt, and secondly, I knew that Emily would probably be able to enlighten us a little more. on Me at least a little more.
0: I was, I I had this thing I had to do today and I was riding back from it with my wife and I was like, I don't know why the fuck they asked me on this podcast. I don't know anything about music. (laughs)
1: I know, I know. Key change, you know, court range. change, yeah. key
0: change, court change. Yeah. <laughs> like every good boy deserves fudge, face, yeah. you know, all I, that I stuff. Mean, I, like, I should, I should say, I started, like I started out wanting, like I, I really thought I was going to be a professional musician. My parents, wow. uh, who I no longer speak with, uh, they are still sort of a little bit sad that I became a writer instead of a musician. <laughs> Which is not what you expect. So, uh, so yeah. Let's get into themes of this
1: album. Like, what do you feel are what do you, what do you think this album's about?
0: Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I'm going to just say a thing that like explodes your podcast and gets it canceled. Okay. okay, so. okay. <laughs>
1: So, (laughs) Harper, what's what's your thought on this? Uh, I feel like
2: one of the big ones, and I mean, obviously, it's hard to ignore, you know, the time that it came out, right, associated with what happened in real life. But, um, like, fame, public uh, perception, and scrutiny, you know, I mean, kind of tying into this Taylor conversation, right? I mean, he's someone who was so visible and so perceived. And um, so you see that a lot. And, like, uh, Francis Farmer is about another, like, a real-life person who was an actress who um, was – you know, uh, perceived in the media and judged for her behavior. And then ultimately was lobotomized, um, you know, and so that's, I mean, a really extreme, you know, real life thing that happened, but if he was interested in her and feeling like he related to her, you know, that's, I think that's a lot of what's going on in this whole album.
0: (laughs) 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 He's like holding her cards to her chest. No, I I think that's all. I think that's all absolutely accurate. Like I I think that's all in there. I'm not, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I like so like the original name of this album was called "I Hate Myself and I Want to Die." <laughs> so like, there's like there's an element of that in this. Like, there's an element of just like it's pretty clear he's in a bad spot. Uh, it, it's like it, this album feels like he's taking stock of his life and just weighing his options. Just like, what is my relationship to my dad? Was my relationship to this person to the music industry to blah blah blah. And it's just like this discomfort of being a human being like this, like in scentless apprentice, he compares himself to this, a baby without a smell. And like, uh, he's like in, uh, dumb. He's like, you know, I think I'm done dumb or maybe just happy. And Francis farm, like I missed the comfort in being sad. So just like this real unease with emotions and like feeling whatever emotion he's feeling, he feels is not the right one. He feels is incorrect. And just like, there's like an element of like, with this album, there's an element of like, it it feels like there's like two modes. It's either like the rocking back and forth in a dark room and like fucking shit up mode of the album.
0: Most of my favorite Nirvana songs are off this album. I, I'm sure that at one point I listened to it straight through, but I was probably like 14. So I don't fucking remember that, you know? Um, but yeah, listening to it again, I listened to it three, four times before doing this, uh, just walking around downtown LA, driving around downtown LA. And yeah, this album is about how Kurt Cobain wants to be a girl. Um, I believe that we do highlights wow. next. So let's just jump right to it. <laughs> 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 All right. Yeah. Know, like, let's no. expound. This. <laughs> no. Let's expound. No, yeah. uh, we, we, can, we can explore this. I don't. I, I don't, you know, Kirk Cobain is, is no longer with us. Um, he I'm going to continue using he, him pronouns for him because he never told me to do so do otherwise. He never told anyone to do otherwise. Um, the, the, but um, I'm going to take a sidebar into the director, Michael Cimino, um, who directed the film The Deer Hunter and died. I don't remember when he died. He died recently. And after his death, there's this big biography that comes out that reveals that to for most of the end of his life, to most of his friends. He was using she, her pronouns, using a woman's name, Whoa. all of this stuff. So now the question is, you know, for me as a journalist, do I refer to Michael Chimino, he, him, director of The Deer Hunter? Or do I refer to him by this name that he only ever gave to his friends, this thing that he only ever expressed privately? I would defer to Michael Chimino, he him, just because, you know, he he never said uh, publicly this is who he wanted to be. Um Kurt Cobain Trans women frequently get in trouble on the internet for saying Kurt Cobain was a trans woman because to a lot of cis men of a certain age, Kurt Cobain is an extremely important person, an extremely important figure, an extremely important creative force. And I would argue all of those are still true if if indeed he was a trans woman, but he – uh, frequently cross-dressed he there's like photo shoots of him in a skirt where he seems really fucking happy. He wrote about how he wished he had breasts. This album is full of lyrics that are about the longing to be someone else to become someone else. The title is in utero and to a real degree before you come out uh, being a trans person is like still waiting to be born in a weird way like I'm not gonna sit here and say this album is conclusively about him being trans. I you know I'm being cheeky when I say that but i am sort of interested in uh, throughout this this episode this conversation having this thought about like how do we how do we apply queerness to the past to people who can no longer say i'm queer to people who can't say i'm trans i'm whatever and also like you know can we go so far as to say kurt cobain was gender nonconforming in some aspects of his life and what does that mean to his legacy or will a bunch of people yell at us on Twitter? Because saying that sounds like an insult to them when it's not like he did directly say he was bisexual. And then I went and read a bunch of discussion on this, on various Nirvana fan forums where they were like, well, he never actually said he kissed a guy. So he wasn't. And I'm like, you don't know that he didn't him saying I'm bisexual is like saying he's bisexual. You don't get to like police that. You know what I mean?
1: Mm -hmm. It's probably, there's a lot,
0: there's a lot to uncover there. Like,
1: first of all, like it was like, kind of like the um, what I was talking about, like the discomfort of being a human being, it's like that plays into that a little bit, just like this and also like the fact that there wasn't like vocabulary back then, mm-hmm. like there really was, like.
0: certainly trans people existed and certainly like transsexuality was in the media to some extent, but it was treated as like kind of a sideshow weirdly, like treatment of trans issues was more sympathetic back then it just was not treated as like a thing that was frequently happening you know that was much more a time when um uh gay and lesbian uh folks were advocating for their own rights and like getting like really pushback back in the media and bisexuality was just starting to be a thing people talked about and was very much like in the sphere of does this actually exist are you all just making this up which is the perpetual thing of like queer people trying to get recognized by the american mainstream um One thing that, you know, Kurt Cobain would talk about this stuff and people would be like, well, he's just trying to get attention. He's just saying things to get attention. And like, that's the perpetual thing that is leveled against queer people. To this day, people are like, well, these kids can't be trans. They're just trying to get attention or blah, blah, blah. And like Kurt Cobain was doing that, but like Kurt, Kurt Cobain was really trying. I keep saying Cobain, like I'm rhyming with cocaine or something. Cobain. Kurt Cobain was really trying to like, uh, Cobain sounds like a cop show, just like. <laughs> Cobain. You know, Co- Fox. Cobain Cobain and Grohl. I love it. Um <laughs> uh, but yeah, like like if he was just saying this stuff to get a rise out of people, he would not have been like writing about it in his private journals. He would not have been doing right? this, this stuff yeah. in private. He was struggling with something. That struggle most was most evident in this album, I think. And that struggle manifested itself in depression and addiction and a lot of things that a lot of queer people who feel trapped by the life they're in uh, have manifested in them. And like, again, I'm not going to sit here and definitively say Kurt Cobain was queer. He said he was bi, so I'm going to say he was bi. If he had said he was trans, I would say he was trans. But at the time, I don't know that he had the language for it, you know? And, and there's all kinds of, There's all kinds of people alive right now. I'm relatively sure trans women, I'm not going to say who they are, but like, you know, they still have the chance to like get that language and learn how to describe themselves. He doesn't. And how do we talk about that? How do we think about that again, without a bunch of people getting, well, people are going to get mad at us on Twitter anyway. Yeah, It is (laughs) the stance of this podcast. (laughs) And this this podcast is legally responsible for this opinion that Kurt Cobain was a trans yeah, yeah. woman. Yep. Oh no. <laughs> I, I guess I guess I guess so.
1: But like it's like it's like I have my fingers crossed uh, when I
0: said that for any lawyers listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> shit. Shit.
0: No, I, I'm not like opposed to that opinion. i um, like I think like um, there there's some interview he gave where he said um, someone asked me if I was gay in in high school and I was like no, but I wish I had been because that would have solved everything. And it's like, yeah, I I get that. You know, people kept <laughs> asking me if I was gay in high school. And like if I had just been able to be like, yeah, like that would have like that would have sent me down a path. I don't know. Um, I think a lot about um the song, the the Antipenultimate song on the album, which is actually one of my less favorite songs on the album, um, but Radio Friendly Unit Shifter is so trans. And um there's a thi- there's a thing that I think Trans people sort of lock into that is like in the ether of a lot of pop culture because I think, I think for the vast majority of people, including many people who label themselves as cis and are cis, I'm not doubting that there is a thing about the oppression of the gender binary that is like impossible to ne- navigate and negotiate. When I first came out as trans. Um, I read this thing that was like, there's eight billion people on the planet. That means there are eight billion genders. And that's really kind of true. We're all negotiating our own performance of this thing that we're all required to like deal with. And we can end up in various umbrellas. You know, we end up the, under the umbrella of cis, under the umbrella of trans, under the umbrella of gender nonconforming, which is a little bit more uh open and and broad. But there is like there is art that trans people just kind of lock into. In like a weird way where it's like hearing like a, like a, like a a dog whistle of some sort dog whistle, of course, being a terribly racist term, but I'm going to use it here (laughs) in a way that like is, I don't know, I'm trying to reclaim it, I guess. I don't know what I'm doing right now, but (laughs) I remember like the songs from Nevermind never struck me when I was a kid trying to figure out my own shit in the way the songs from in utero did. And like, um, uh, all apologies is my favorite Nirvana song, which is like a fucking basic ass bitch thing to say. But like, it, it is, you know, it is that thing of like looking for some sort of hope amid this, like despair of feeling like you're living the wrong life and it's slipping away from you. Anyway, radio friendly unit shifter <laughs> includes lyrics. Like I love you for what I am not. I do not want what I have got, which is like, Again, super trans. What is what I need? What is wrong with me? What is what I need? Um, nothing to do with what you think. If you ever think at all, bipolar opposites attract. All of a sudden, my water broke, like pregnancy imagery. It, there is obviously this is shortly after his daughter is born. You know, he's married to Courtney Love now. So, like, there's a lot of that floating around in this as well. But I, I do think, you know, that song especially feels to me like it unlocks the rest of the album. And indeed, it contains the word skeleton key in it. So maybe Kurt, maybe Kurt Cobain of the uh, Fox TV show, Cobain and Grohl uh, agrees with me.
1: (laughs) I I don't know. Like it's, I I like I think as a cis person like I think I grew up in like kind of like this like like to contribute to this I just like mostly want to just give you the floor to speak on this stuff because (laughs) because as a a cis person like I grew up like where people would speculate on people's sexuality all the time Mm -hmm. and like even if they turned out it turned out they were gay or something like that like it it was still like really kind of. I thought like kind of immoral and like kind of messed up a little bit. It is. So Yeah, what we're doing right now y- yeah. is
0: immoral and messed up. So, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, I just like, um I just want to also just put that out there as like, just like a thing.
0: Yeah. And I think it is like, um speculating as to whether Kurt Cobain was, was trans or not is, you know, on some level taking his agency away from him in the same way that speculating as to whether Taylor Swift is gay or not, it's taking her agency away from her. But at the same time, why do so many trans people find so much in his music in a way that they don't in the music of like Pearl Jam, which is an equally good band from that era, has a lot of great songs. Trans people don't stand that in the way they stand Nirvana. There is a thing inside this album, whether Kurt Cobain's conscious of it or not. That, um, speaks to our experience. Now there are a lot of reasons that could be, you know, um, there are a lot of reasons you could get a little bit dissociated from your body. There are a lot of reasons you could become uncomfortable with your body. There are a lot of reasons you could become a drug addict. A lot of reasons you could be depressed, they just are expressed in a particularly trans way here. Does that mean he was a trans woman? If you want to make that argument, there's a lot of extra textual evidence, but I feel like saying in one way or the other, except as the legal opinion of this podcast, yeah. uh, is is like we shouldn't, you know, I, I think we shouldn't make that statement, but having the conversation is important because so often when you s- start to talk about this, those folks flood in and are like, no he wasn't as though <laughs> as though it's an insult, you know mm-hmm. let's say that and it's to- also. Yeah. A-
1: and also as though we're saying that's definitively true Mm -hmm. also we're just having the conversation yeah 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 Yeah. yeah.
0: um and like i do think that i I do think there are plenty of trans women who like to get a rise out of the internet on this because (laughs) but but like you know we're not sitting here being like j edgar hoover was a trans woman because we don't want we don't want (laughs) to fucking claim him um the unabomber was the the, the unabomber was a trans we don't want to claim folks who have expressed what sounds like gender dysphoria in other contexts who are shitty people. Kurt Cobain's a brilliant artist. So we're going to we come yeah. to us, Kurt. Um, but I, 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 yeah, like say tomorrow they find a journal of Kurt Cobain's where he's like, I've discovered what I am. It's a trans woman. And somehow he's using 2023 appropriate terminology to refer <laughs> yeah, to like, himself. Like yeah. those, those guys would still be like, well, no, he wasn't, you know, in the way that they are about him saying he was bi. it's just like, yeah, you know, It's it is this thing that I think exists in a lot of pop culture spaces, but especially within rock music. That is like, no, these people are straight cis people, and they really have to go out of their way to say otherwise. Like even you know, even a David Bowie, like who was very much queer and playing around with gender performance and sexuality and all of that often is just sort of, you know, lumped in into the the straight white cis guy thing. I and mean, he liked to dress up in certain ways and he occasionally liked to kiss boys, but blah blah blah, you know.
1: But he did it like a straight way. Like, yeah, exactly. like. <laughs> <laughs> um I I we'll, we got to move on to highlights, but uh the last um I just want to go back on uh one thing that I forgot to mention on
0: uh preconceived notions oh
1: fuck i forgot it Uh, never mind okay let's take a break (laughs) click
0: uh actually i was gonna say i think one other song that really unlocks this read of the album for me is like probably the hardest song to discuss discuss on the album which is rape me which Uh. is about you know it is uh, cobain said it was an anti-rape song it is you know we're in that in that vein of like making is making ironically racist jokes actually just racist but there, that is another song that really unlocks this read of the album for me. And maybe we'll talk about that more going forward. Do I get to say click click?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> there we go. So, uh, yeah, and we're back here talking about Nirvana's in utero. So, uh, let's get into highlight songs. What is, uh, Emily, let's start with you. What's a highlight song from this record?
0: I mean, I, I I alluded to this before, but um, "All Apologies" is my favorite Nirvana song. I, again, I feel like that's a very basic opinion. It was a single from this. It was a huge. Uh, it was a like like kind of became a song that a lot of people played after Cobain's death. The I actually slightly prefer the live version from the MTV Unplugged album, but like this version is also very good. Um, I just there's a there's a a dark yearning hopefulness in it that i find really appealing um but like my favorite national song is so far around the bend which is this like one-off kind of experimental thing they did for like a compilation album so i often like the song that doesn't sound like any other songs the band recorded um and that but that's the case here and actually all apologies was the very first nirvana song i ever heard but I heard a cover version of it. I heard a cover version of it by the Christian band DC talk who replaced the lyrics. They were who replaced the lyrics. Everyone is gay with Jesus is the way for a long time. I thought that was, that was the lyrics. So that's, that's (laughs) this, that's Nirvana's overlap with Christian rock.
2: (laughs) That's amazing.
1: By the way, like another legal opinion we have to have on the show: Jesus is the way. And uh,
0: like, <laughs> I was thinking about what song do you want? Do I want this episode to play out with? And I was going to ask you to find that, but I don't think it exists anymore. I don't. They only oh, played it in concert. It. I just googled it, and it's just a bunch of Christian blogs being like, "This proves that DC Talk is <laughs>
1: <laughs> What if we just like played that video as <laughs> like the outro, just like, <laughs> but like, um. I, I um, yeah. We already talked about the. Uh, what, what? Expand on it more. What do you, what do you love about this song?
0: I just, I mean, I think there is. It sounds like insomnia in a weird way. It sounds like laying awake at night and trying to find an escape from your problems and like just sort of being like learning that the way to escape your problems is to accept that your problems exist basically is to not like try to fix them but to try to learn to live alongside them which is so true for people who uh struggle with some sort of mental uh mental illness um or you know who who are struggling with gender dysphoria before they come out you know whatever kurt cobain was was wrestling with really comes through in this song And this is the kind of the one song in the album that opens things up a little bit to be like, it is okay to struggle as long as you like admit the struggle exists. And like, um, this whole album is about like getting lost in the struggle and all apologies is about like, yeah, I'm fighting, but I'm still keeping my head above water for now. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful song. There's like, it's. Yeah, I don't know. I, I struggle to talk about it because I've loved this song for so long. And like for a long time it was the only song I listened to off the album. Like I would be like, Yep, all apologies. Good song. Uh and yeah, I one thing I think was a flaw in it was that it never let us know that Jesus is the way, but fortunately there was <laughs> <Yeah>. a cover.
1: <laughs> Thanks, DC Talk.
0: <Shock. laughs> it's like the
1: Yeah. It's like the all in all is all we are. Like yeah. that reprieve at the end yeah. is very like kind of like a Buddhist, like almost like kind of like the Zen just like acceptance
0: of what it is. I think is so like the story of the making of this album, which I'm going to just very briefly is that they Mm -hmm. hired this producer, Steve Albini to make a like noisier, more experimental, like harder to approach album because Kurt Cobain always felt that, he always kind of downplayed smells like teen spirit he was just like i was trying to write a pixies song is the famous quote that's gone around and like he sort of seemed not terribly like convinced of his own creative abilities um, so he hires this guy and he's like wanting to make a truly unapproachable nirvana Album and they go to this like 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 studio and they record in all sorts of ambient spaces. And the thing that Albini would often do is he would like have mics just sort of set up to capture the room tone and let that inform the recording. And then when they started mastering it, the label was like, "This is unlistenable." <laughs> um, and and like Cobain kind of agreed in a in a weird way, and like I think one of the things about Kurt Cobain is like he kind of was a people pleaser. Like he doesn't seem like it, but he did kind of want to like make the label happy and things like that. So you hear if you listen to the overall album and you listen to it back to back with Nevermind, it's very different from Nevermind. It's it is much more unapproachable, but he did sort of allow. A couple of songs to be pulled out as single worthy and all apologies was one of them, but there is still that messy, grungy feel to it that I think yeah. really elevates it from a simple, like kind of cloying ballad into something beautiful and heartfelt and, and true
1: he does have like a pop sensibility in some of these songs. Like Heart Shaped Box is very poppy. Like yeah. there's like, that song is a song where it's like, oh yeah, a chorus. Yeah. <laughs> like you can sing along to <laughs> like, but it's like, there's still like that artsy avant-garde mm-hmm. edge yeah. to a lot of this album. And like some of these songs are very avant which like, all, like makes All Apologies so great is like a very ape, milk it, radio friendly unit shifter Tourette's are very just like, Arr! and then just like, it like, the and like the the mix in those songs, it's like very in the back, almost as if to say, eh, you know, I, I'm not gonna, sh- I'm not gonna share what I think actually. And then like all apologies, his voice is very in the front. Yeah. It's like very clear. Yeah. It's like really like probably to like indicate that the. Fog is lifted a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I think like this period, it's so easy to forget now that we live in an era when literally everybody sells out all the time. I'm going to sell out right after we finish recording this. I'm going to go like like buy, have Snapple sponsor me in some capacity. Yeah, <laughs> um, but like that Roy Star Waco. <laughs> like, <he's> like, <laughs> uh, the uh, but yeah, the like this was a period when selling out was the worst thing you could possibly do, and I do feel like Cobain felt a lot of like problems in the way that never mind it's kind of slick not you would never listen to that stand be like what a slick record but like people in the grunge scene at that time who like wanted to capture authenticity were like this album sounds produced but like artistic statement artistic authenticity has nothing to do with like whether it sounds like you recorded this in the basement under a blanket you know it like it has to do with like how you're you're expressing your your feelings and your thoughts and like uh Cobain was incapable of holding that back I think you know sometimes to his detriment so yeah I, I it's a very weird thing to think about now in the in the context of literally 30 years after this album was released
2: Well All Apologies is definitely my favorite on the album um but I I think the one that surprised me because I, I haven't listened to this album all the way through in a while like I I did listen to a bunch of Nirvana in college I uh, but um dumb i really enjoyed on this listen um and i found it just like deeply relatable which i guess is you know yikes but um you know i think i'm dumb or maybe just happy is like so real it's such a devastating line one of my favorite lines from the album um just like Uh, there was, like, an interview he did about that song where he was saying, like, he wished that he could take a pill that would just, like, make him enjoy watching, like, binge-watching television, basically. Cobain
1: and Girl Yes, exactly.
2: (laughs) Cobain on Girl on Fox, you know. And I, yeah, that, like, makes... I I mean, obviously, I love binge-watching television. That's not my thing specifically. But, like, this, uh, you know, I think I'm dumb or maybe just happy is, like, why is my brain somehow so different? It's a neurodivergent thing. Why is my brain so different from everyone else who can just like enjoy things? Like, why can't I enjoy things? Why can't I just like, you know, go out on a walk and have a nice time? Or why can't I just have relationships that are like normal? Or why can't I, you know, it's all this stuff of like, why am I, not experiencing the world in the same way as other people. And I feel like the song, like that line in particular, in the song really gets to that. And I, I really felt it. So,
1: yeah. And like the, first of all, like the people, everyone saying he's like a God and like a genius and stuff like that probably furthers that isolation a little bit, but also like he does, he like constantly like downplays his brilliance in a lot of ways. He does like, probably because of his depression and stuff. But like the idea that like, he's also like, he doesn't feel smart, but he also is like smart enough to like, not be like, not be able to fit in, not be able to enjoy things. And also like smart enough to like be held accountable to like his, his life and his world and stuff like that. Like if he was dumb and didn't have like, quote unquote dumb and like didn't have the agency to like, you know, (laughs) be accountable. Like he feels like smart enough where like he can't enjoy this stuff. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, the, there is this like, I mean, depression, uh, a a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, different ways that you can experience the world that makes you feel like you're not experiencing it correctly. And that, that, like the, the, that song really captures uh, for me, it captures it in terms of depression, but also you know dysphoria, as I, I mentioned. But yeah, like that's the thing about like trying to pin this album or Kurt Cobain down is he like he experienced this in ways that speak to a lot of different types of human experience. Um, but also, he was a girl, and we all know that was true. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're the one podcast, like the only one, daring that, like, enough that
1: pos- yeah. that posits that like Co- Co- Kurt Cobain was a girl and Jesus is the way at the same like breath. Um, but like I, 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 that goes into like um, one of my, I have two high like big highlights. Uh, like um, is "Scentless Apprentice," where I hated the song the first time I listened to it. It was so off-putting, the screaming and like the the how loud it was and stuff like that, and like how like kind of disgusting the lyrics were, but like listening to it over and over, it just like, it really made a lot of sense to me, honestly. It's just like, yep, that's how it, that's how that feeling feels. That's how it (laughs) is. Like, yeah, it's like really just like, um, he got this from a book, like the concept of the song from a book where I forgot what it's called, but like, uh, it's like the idea that like, I think it was perfume, the the care. Yeah. Perfume. Like this character was born without like a smell and like, which like, makes him like kind of like separate from his mother, like you know the, the removes the chemical bond between like uh mother and child, but also gives him like a heightened sensitivity to other smells, and in the book, the character ends up killing virgins to capture their scent, but in this song he's it it compels him to write hooks like go away yeah. just like that's like what he does with that. <laughs> Cursed existence and like this, idea of like I'm broken from birth, Wh- whatever it is, it's just in inherently I'm broken and like might go to the trans like read of it, just like this dysphoria is like so like you know
0: yeah so yeah. I didn't re- do I get do I get to pick other highlights? Yeah yeah okay. good yeah uh, I feel like.
1: Th- yeah, let's do it. I yeah. really I,
0: I really do love Penny Royalty. I think that's just like that's kind of a fun one to sing along to, which is like a weird thing to say about a Nirvana song. But it's just like, yeah. The 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 way that Cobain sings Penny Royal where it sounds like he's like being like extracted from him by like somebody's like hooked it and his stomach and is pulling it out of him on a on a fishing line, is just like there's something so pained about it in a song that is somehow also so like radio friendly. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, speaking further to uh this, all of this, um, penny royalty is like a way that women would attempt to uh, induce an abortion. Um, it didn't always work. It's like an herbal remedy. Um, but yeah, that's that's another thing that people often read into. The, I feel like that's a bit of a stretch because it seems clear to me that he's like trying to rid himself of the parts of himself he doesn't like, which may include some sort of gender issues but yeah it's it's uh apparently he wrote in a personal journal herbal abortive it doesn't work you hippie uh
1: any other highlights uh that we want to like just like talk about like i I, harper do i do one that i can do one and then we'll move on Uh,
2: yeah okay i mean uh i don't know if we're about to have the same one but heart-shaped box i feel like we got to get into that a little bit um i i feel like it's it's like maybe like other than all apologies, it's one of the nicest sounding songs on this album. Like you can kind of get into it very easily. I like the barrier to entry is a little bit lower um, just on how it sounds. Um, you know, there is still a good bit of screaming in the chorus for sure, but it's um, yeah, I don't know. And that's, it's such an interesting to talk because it's about a relationship. A lot of these are kind of, um, you know, I don't know, internal, like isolated kind of things, but this is about a relationship. It's about like, Uh, an unbalanced relationship where like one person's more into the other person or it's not exactly the communication's not right. Um, And it's a little, and it's also a little like passive aggressive. It's like forever in debt to your priceless advice feels very like, Ooh, yikes. Like this is, there's something not good going on in this relationship. Um, But it's also like a nice sounding song. Like it's interesting that those two things are kind of at odds. Right.
1: Yeah. It's like another theme of this album is just like this, like, feeling trapped like in like the music industry in like in like the way he describes his relationship as like a heart-shaped box and just like th- it's like not a romantic sentiment at all it's like really kind of like and like being indebted to this person is like a not rom- uh, it can be romantic I guess in some sensibilities but this doesn't feel very there is a little bit of romanticism but it still feels like kind of I'm pretty
0: sad a little bit every time every time I hear uh, Heart Shaped Box and a couple other songs on this album I remember that this uh, album came out shortly after uh, he got married to Courtney Love and had a baby (laughs) so um, yikes make of that what you will (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah i was reading that the heart-shaped box which, like she actually gave him a heart-shaped box um when he broke up with whoever he was saying seeing before that and that was like kind of her way of being like oh i like you let's be together and there was like a bunch of you know kind of creepy trinkets in it i don't know so i think this is like it, at least in on some levels like a you know a direct reference to their relationship
0: how many how many members of gen x have to die before someone will make a cutesy curtain courtney rom-com <laughs> Oh. <laughs>
1: So let's let's talk about something a little more f- let's talk about something a little more fun. Let's talk about <laughs> Rape Me. Like let's t- I think it's a highlight song, but what do you guys what do you folks think of this? Like
2: one thing that is like just right off the bat really interesting about the song is that it kind of starts with that riff from Smells Like Teen Spirit. So it kind of brings you in uh you know and you're like, "Oh, I know I know this song. I know it Smells Like Teen Spirit." And then it goes straight into like Rape Me and it's like, "Oh, yeah. that's not what I thought I was getting into." here
0: i i would also like i i i genuinely love this song i genuinely struggle with this song i think those two things can coexist in like a really good way and this song is a great example like i alluded earlier to this being sort of um uh one of the more trans adjacent songs on this album at least for me and i think there is a i think there is a thing within a lot of trans people's pre-transition lives where they like over-identify with the problems of the gender that they are, but haven't yet like been able to admit they are. And it does there there is sort of this element here of this song, but it's also like about the record industry and it's about like the ways that society doesn't take women's problems seriously, which is in and of itself, you know, uh, a thing that sort of speaks to where Cobain's mind may have been, but it is like, there's so many different readings of it, but also there's the very like explicit reading of like, well, you know, well, maybe he's saying that rape is okay. And I don't, that's not the reading. I really don't. Yeah. yeah, I really don't think that's what he's saying, but like people certainly have, and again, uh, everybody's interpretation is their own interpretation, and it's fine. It's the very, yeah. very basic part of, of criticism. But yeah, th- that this song is complicated enough to allow completely opposite readings, and more or less have them make sense is part of why I love it. I wrote down "Edge Lord for Good," <laughs> like, question mark? You
1: know, <laughs> like, but like the idea of like shocking art, like art that's shocking, mm-hmm. and like shock is not my tactic that I would use to artistically express myself, but the fact that i i i i really think it's like an anti rape song and like this like giving voice to that and like making people reckon with that and wrestle with that a little bit like the idea that the rapist is going to experience karma one day like you you know this is happening now but eventually you'll get your day and stuff like that and then i'm not the only one the idea of just the solidarity and then Calling the rapist my friend because, unfortunately, this stuff happens between friends a lot. And then the fact that it's a man singing is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think it's great. I, I or, or, like, I think it's, like, really um, – there's a very humanist, uh, you know, and he, he was, like, very – like, he, like, really empathized and, like, really pushed for feminist, like, yeah. uh, uh, issues and stuff like that in this time, which is, like, really – I I think it's great. I think it's a good. I, but yeah, that's just me. Yeah,
0: yeah, he was very um um open about his pushback against any forms of prejudice and uh you know a structural inequality that uh needed to be ended uh, that we still are struggling with today. Um, my first exposure to this song was a bunch of fifteen-year-old boys screaming it. So that has always Ugh. colored like <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, like like also. When he screams on this song that's fucking good like rock music screaming that's so, like his his voice just yeah. goes to this place that is harrowing and and dark and 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 terrible and I love it.
1: And like I don't know like I feel like the fact that it's repeated so many times um just like forces you to like kind of
0: to look at it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like the uh, like there's an element of like like the uh, gender dysphoria take that we're talking about with Kurt, like there's an element of like, we're talking about it. (laughs) like, there's a, there's a little bit, but like, I totally get if this is like a triggering thing and like, if people Mm -hmm. used it, this song wrong to hurt people. Um, Yeah. yeah, That's like, I get that. It's like, valid if it's a non-starter for a lot of people i mean so, I, I,
0: I i'll just i would rather hear Kurt cobain yell rape me over and over again than like my, <laughs> my <Yeah>. classmates <laughs> so <laughs> uh
1: let's go look quickly go through low lights. i feel like i don't really have a lot um but well, any lowlights uh let's quick, quickly go through those
0: uh i mean i uh i i, I don't love milk it like it's not like a it's bad a song. It's a song, yeah. It's just like, yeah. There's a lot of like body imagery on this album, and like body imagery is, you know, sometimes hard for me to take. And milk, it's the one where I'm like, eh, you know, could take or leave. I'm not like, it's not like I skip it, you know. Like I, I never skipped it when I was listening to the album, but. It very much is like, yeah. It's 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 it feels like it's number eight on the album for a reason. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. there's like a song that's like seven or eight where you're like, yeah, they know that one's not as good as the others.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like uh, like the last back end of it, like Fairy Ape, milk it, radio friendly unit shifter Tourettes. Like they they. It just like feels like it's highlighting this guy's mental instability Mm -hmm. and like unwellness like to the fact to the point where it's like it doesn't feel like a song it just feels like an audio journal that he's like strumming on his guitar like in his room or something like that just like
0: you know uh it, 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 the I own my own pet virus. I get to pet and name her her milk is my shit. My shit is her milk. Uh that little couplet, uh, you can very much read in a trans way, but if you think he's talking about his kid, um that very different. Although like there is a but he had a he had like pretty bad stomach ulcers, so that he also just might be talking about how he has a yeah. tummy ache. Which is why,
1: like, which is why it feels like the audio journal of just like yeah. the specific like this is like the the, the you know the this is the type of medicine i'm taking or whatever it is uh harper do you have any lowlights
2: no exactly those four songs that you just mentioned were my my ones where it's not like i don't think they're bad i do think this is like a great album i just think that those are the ones that like lost my attention a little bit more like where I, you know i just was less tuned into those ones That's true. And I wonder if that's like, you know, because I feel that way about other albums too. So I wonder if it's like part attention span, not not you, but I mean in general, right, for all of us, part attention span, but also there's... But it's part of like how I think an album is structured too. I mean, this isn't the first time we've talked about this recently. Even I feel like with the Robin album, we were just talking about body talk and um, had a similar thing where it dips in the last half. And it's like, there's something about the way that producers or whoever is structuring an album that I think there's something going
0: on there. You really do get past dumb on this album and it feels like you're in this weird uncharted territory and penny royalty is there kind of holding everything up but it's very much it's very much an album of like our external sources causing my anguish our internal sources causing my anguish and it kind of pivots on dumb and like but when you get to the point where it's just like kurt cobain being like you know what i think the problem might be me then it becomes kind of a tough sit in a good way
1: yeah it's like it, uh, it feels like the unformed like, when you're having, like, going through mental health problems and, like, you can't quite articulate it. It feels, like, very unformed. It's just this morass of just horrible shit, horrible feelings, like, where you say things like, her milk is my shit, my shit is her milk, you know? Like, um any, any other straight observations?
0: Anything we haven't talked about, like, that we should quickly point out? I, 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 uh... I think this, I, you know what, we didn't talk about it all, but I think Serve the Servants is like a good opener. Like it's not the strongest song on the album, but it gets you in the headspace in a really strong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I often like, I'm not a huge lyrics listener. I'm not a lyrics person, which sounds weird because I have to like write music with, to music with lyrics. But I do think of like, there is this quality to like a song that kind of just washes over you while you're riding along in the car and you might even sing along to it and not realize what you're singing to that heart shaped box especially has and yet it's like it is this it is this certain quality that some songs have to like get you to just go out on a limb and and not even really think about what it is that's that's happening.
1: All right, let's go through Final Thoughts and Rings. So the way this works is we'll rate this album out of ten with a fun metric at the end. Uh, let's who wants to go first?
2: I will go. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to be honest. I'm more of a nevermind girl. That was by one of the albums I listened to a lot, a lot in high school. So that was kind of the one for me. I did get into a new in college, but like, you know, it didn't like hit me exactly in the same time and place as nevermind. Um, but, um, yeah, no, but I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting and like kind of sad and intense album in a good way. Um with some, some great hits on there. So I'm gonna give it an eight point five out of ten. Uh card shaped boxes.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> I like uh my review is Uh, Kurt Cobain is trans uh, Jesus the way uh, seven out. Um, No, like I, I think this is artistically. I respect it so much. I love this discussion. I think it's so interesting. It's a really vivid and poignant and tragic prospect, like, you know, uh, detailing of depression and just like unhappiness and potentially dysphoria. Like in like, Even just dysphoria as a in just a general sense too, Mm -hmm. um, uh. But yeah, I, I find myself I if someone says, "What do you think of in utero?" I'll say it's great, and then but like, will I listen to it? Like, probably not. Like, I this is too upsetting. This is too hard to like listen to. It's like. Uh, there were times when I was listening to this album and I go, I went like, I reject this. Like, I can't like, I can't like, you know, this is too bleak of a worldview to like, just willingly put this in my life, you know, as like a, someone who's like fragile and working. (laughs) Yeah. Working through stuff on my own. So, um, I'm going to get this, um, I'm gonna give this uh, 7.5 babies that smell like butter out of 10.
0: I just sent I just sent that whole thing to Dave Grohl and he's so disappointed in you. He's like, oh <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Actually, I feel like if Dave Grohl was disappointed in me, I'd be like, I'd be like, oh Dave, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he
2: seems like a sweet man.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah i have uh long said this was one of my this is my favorite nirvana album this is my one of my favorite albums of the 90s and it was always like i don't know if i actually listened to the whole thing but like i loved the things i had heard that much and listening to it now i was like yeah i definitely haven't heard some of these songs i know i'd heard the first half of it over and over again and then the second half is you know a chore um but I I just this album captures a particular headspace that is one that I sometimes just want to live in, which might sound weird. So um, I'm I'm going to give it nine and a half out of ten DC talks. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm like I'm All like right. I'm like a I'm like a, a a girl who wants to like sometimes just live in a difficult headspace and like oh yeah yeah I get it oh yeah, yeah. no
2: yeah that's but what yeah, Alice Glass is for for me
0: yeah i'm yeah. not just Mitsuki, i'm yeah, not like, just like for for my baby <laughs>
1: <laughs> um but yeah like uh thank you so this is uh that was our review of in utero so uh uh yeah let us know what you think of it unless it's like <laughs> bad unless your opinion is bad don't don't share with us um but yeah like uh thank you so much emily this is so what a what a freaking delight oh my gosh thank this you. is so fun like i thank you for being so smart and so interesting and like so like
0: uh yeah compassionate i f- i feel like i made you reschedule this like six times and i truly apologize for that no, no okay. it was just one time it okay. was like one time it wasn't that um, i've been a little flaky lately because i've had so much weird bullshit happening in my life oh my life. god yeah so
1: Oh, you're great. Thank you for making this happen. Like this is this is like such a cool moment in my life. Um and probably Harper's too. Me too. Um, this so like, awesome, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Harper's this is that, this harper's yeah. your favorite harper now. Okay. So,
0: um, Emily, what would you like to plug? What's, what's out there for oh you? Oh my gosh. You can find me on the internet, uh, most platforms at Emily Saint Jams. Uh, that, I, I don't know. I realized you could drop the E from my last name and make it Saint Jams and was just so delighted. Yeah, jams cause um, of music and you're on a music review podcast. Yeah, that's cause I'm a, yeah, my music review podcast. Um, I, uh, have a whole bunch of stuff going on. Um, I, I co host, a, a podcast called Podcast like it's 1992. We're covering the movies of 1992, which is not a year that, not the year oh, that wow. In Utero came out weirdly. Um, where, uh, I, I, you can, uh, see the podcast Arden, which I, I don't work on anymore, but like I did and people liked. Um, I'm on strike currently with the Writers Guild of America, but when I'm not on strike, uh, I, I, I write on the TV show Yellow Jackets and you can watch what? that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you can oh, watch gosh. that on. I just, on Paramount Plus with Showtime, I guess, is what we what they call it. Um I've worked there one day. I feel like weird saying that, but technically I have been paid <laughs> for one day of work writing hey. on yellow jackets. And in theory I will continue to work there once this strike is over. Uh, if the strike ends more than most people, <laughs>
1: like, more than most
0: people on yeah. earth. I so, say, you know? I've worked, I've worked one day more there than either of you have. So hmm.
1: gotcha. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had learned it over. Us. <laughs> like, um,
0: but- yeah. But yeah, I always have like 7 billion things going on. So uh, follow me on, uh, on Twitter or blue sky. I'm doing a lot more. I'm doing some skeeting now. I'm skeeting on blue sky, skeeting up a mm. storm. Listen, I'm I'm gonna come back for Christmas. That's what's gonna happen. We're gonna do we're gonna do a Christmas episode. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah, that's yeah, we fun. can do the like,
2: salty Christmas
0: episode. Oh, well, I I want yeah
1: I want to subject you to some. <laughs> Oh boy, what what fun. Uh so yeah, uh check out Yellow Jackets. Um I wrote I wrote there for two days. Um but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, you can follow Harper at Harping About on all platforms. You can follow me at Andrew Ambrose Lee on all platforms, Michael at Limon Taco on all platforms, and Stanley at Snapasten. On Instagram and uh, get write us an email at i've been meaning to listen to that at gmail.com. You could uh, give us a review or a rating on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, yeah, that that'd be pretty cool. Um, check out our show; it's good. It's, it's, a, a, good good show. Show. it's a good show. Like we, you
0: can, uh,
1: yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, check that episode out. Oh my gosh, of the you should see the other guy um the the happiest season episode and then also the community like kind of retrospective episode is really fantastic just like a really insightful beautiful conversation um and uh yeah uh
0: Emily, what song would you like to play us out with? Oh, my God. I have been thinking about this all day, and then I just totally blanked the second you said that. What song are we going to play out on? Um, I, it can't be the DC Talk All Apologies because that's not available. Um, <laughs> it's it's Yeah, out. it really is just too bad. Let's go out on a song that I have been uh, listening to a lot lately, uh, Torres' uh, Don't Go Putting Wishes in My Head, I think it's called. Wow. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a good day. Thank you, Emily. Quick. Quick.